Hey, everybody. Uh, this is John. Uh, Ted's on vacation this week, as you'll find out here uh, in a minute. Uh, if you happen to be watching this show live, you'll know that my power went out twice, which means my internet went out twice, uh, which is hard to get around on a live podcast that you're doing on the internet. Uh, so at one point, I was on my phone. Uh, at another point, everything just cut out again. So uh, through the magic of editing, we tried to make it as much like a normal podcast as we can, uh, but it's not quite all there, not quite up to the normal RFK refugee standard. So uh, please bear with us if this is your first episode listening to us. Weird time to start, but welcome. Uh, it's normally a lot better than this, and it will be better than this the next time you listen to us, which hopefully is later this week when I interview Devin McTavish. So uh, again, apologies for the technical technical difficulties. I don't control the weather, uh, so I did my best. Uh, but thanks to everyone uh, for listening, and thank you to Travis for joining me on what is very much not a normal episode of RFK Refugees. Enjoy the show. Hi, everybody. I'm not going to steal Ted's phrase, so we're just going to leave that to the side. But this is RFK Refugees, the podcast, the visual medium of the podcast. And with me, I have a guy you have heard of. You maybe have not seen him on a video podcast because that's not something he usually does. But Travis Clark of Top Drawer Soccer, a T-shirt which he is wearing that you will see as he as he. There you go. Travis, thanks for joining me on the show. No problem. Thanks for having me on. Hope I can do uh, justice in Ted's absence. We will find out. It's going to be a test. Everybody, let us know in the chat. Uh, you know, give us, give us uh, what's what the, f in the chat for for for. I don't know what it is. I'm not old. I'm too old. Speaking of too old, Twitch.tv/RFKRefugees. If you're watching us there, really appreciate it. Uh, if you're not watching us there, if you're listening to this podcast the next day like a normal person and not engaging with us on chat, what are you doing? You should be here on Monday night, uh, and you should be subscribing to our podcast and subscribing to us on Twitch, which I will get to soon. But we have some we have some soccer to talk about. We have actually a lot of soccer to talk about. Three games, four. Three if games. you want to throw in a Loudoun United game, I didn't watch. We don't. We don't. I have a I'm a firm no Loudoun United conversation. Uh, that's my rule. We have we have great and you know awesome guest writers who help us on the website uh, with some gamers. But I have a firm uh, no talking about a team with two wins, uh, our last place in the, in the league over like three years. That's like sort of. That's my bar. So we're we're gonna we're gonna hold off. I think you know when they're gonna be more competitive is when they're in this new MLS reserve league, maybe. That's my hope. The the league that MLS launches so they can just save more money and be cheap. That's yes. how I see it. At, well, I think that's probably I think that's how they <laughs> see it too. I think everybody wants that. Well, I mean it's not that only they want control and they don't want USL capitalizing on off the media they're creating. They wanna say, Hey, you can watch a hundred reserve games as well. Here at ESPN, pay us an extra one million dollars or whatever. I think ESPN Plus will give MLS another twenty-five dollars for the rights to broadcast the development league. It would be generally interesting to have that debate and see how you could quantify how much money you could charge for that. Because what? How many people would watch that? Ten? Me? Everyone, all the their people? dads. Everyone's, yeah. Everyone's dad and families. Uh, I know all about that. I, yeah, that's right. I think Travis probably would be required to subscribe in some way. It would be a business expense. Uh, but we didn't talk about Chicago Fire uh, last week, the game that almost completely escaped my mind as I had such good vibes from this uh, from this weekend. Uh, Let the record show that I had to remind John there was another game. 
and he's the one who's the DC United fan wearing the DC United jersey. Travis is uh, illegally displaying the sausage, uh, how this show is being made and telling you what's actually happened. That's a, it's a strike against. I also don't even think I have the, I do have the right now. All right, so Chicago Fire 2-2, two to two, uh, a game uh, a game that was interesting in the way that uh, Hernan Mosado sort of interpreted it after, after the fact. Uh, a road game which he expected or maybe fans expected that this is going to be a walk. The lineup, not necessarily, there was enough injuries. I think that that was sort of not, maybe maybe shouldn't have been a lock. First game starting with two strikers in the lineup from the start. That's never been, I think they've gotten maybe 15 or 20 minutes uh, either because of injury or just a lack of wanting to play that formation. Uh, but uh, they in, instead got a point on the road. Uh, Travis, big picture thoughts on uh, on a game against the Chicago Fire. That, anytime uh, you come, I think anytime you come from behind, it's positive, right? You're down to zero. Uh, I think Kevin Paredes wasn't supposed to play, but then it ended up being available. He had picked up a knock while with a training with the U.S. national team and then ends up being available, coming in off the bench, and he grabs a goal, makes it 2-1, and then Andy Nahar, who's ageless and makes me feel like I'm 10 years younger because I was covering D.C. United yes. when he was – breaking through, I think it was 2011, 2012. I remember watching a, a reserve game or I, I was reserve game, which dates me right there. Uh, but it might've been, it might've been like a practice game inside of RFK on like a Saturday morning at 10 AM. I don't Again, a time where the, I had the bandwidth and time and nothing else to do Impressive. except to see that game. It was great. Andy's entire team, uh, entire family is there watching the game from the lower bowl, like sitting where the bar sits. Uh, and that was, it feels like not that long ago, but in reality, I think it's now officially a hundred years ago, but yes, that, that was, was quite a, the tangent from him winning a penalty to, yeah, well, uh, although the, I said us on that, that was my fault. You did. You did. But, I, any, any, I had to, I had to wax poetic about being old and seeing a, a practice game at 10 AM on a Saturday. Yeah. I, I still think that, you know, he was up in the box. He wins a penalty. And I think I remember when Nahar signed with DC returned back to the league this year. And I was thinking, I remember hearing about his injury problems. One story I had heard several years ago, he was on the cusp of making a move from Anderlecht to a Spanish club. And that it was like that game he tore his ACL and the move was scrubbed because it had been signed. So that's a monkey that's some, paw situation for him. That's a very, very bad break. Last, yeah. My last day at work before I retire from the force type thing. Yeah. So, you know, he's had some, and I think even just seeing his resurgence, with DC, but not even as a right back, but as a right center back. Well, right, what do you call it? Right back, right center back on the three-man back line. That, mm -hmm. which makes sense. You know, we've seen that sort of style evolve a little bit. We're playing a little bit more of an athletic, less center back type along a three-man back line. Think like call it Kyle Walker comes to mind with the English national team. Not that I'm saying Andy Nahar is Kyle Walker, but that sort of role as I've seen. I like your. Uh, uh, keeping a laugh in there but no i like it i, I want i love him to be kyle walker that would be fan <laughs> i am i am in the i am in the bag big time for Andy nahar so that would be i don't want him you know i'm sure you've seen the the, the recent transfer speculation back to back to portugal back to belgium uh is, is rumored sort of a situation where he's on because he's been so injured and because this was very much like a make right deal for, for yeah him here at east united it would not take much uh he's on he's 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 not on great money right now so that's something to watch particularly if you're because I assume I he's on a probably a short-term deal as well for just one year. Yep. I think there's a T I think there's a team option for the next yeah. year. I actually hadn't even caught all of that 
rumors, but needless to say, he's up there in the box. He makes something happen. I believe it was Jonathan Bornstein that hacks him down. It was. Nowhere near the ball. And then says, like, makes the universal gesture at him. Like, oh, he, he dove, he dove. And you're like, really? The other notable takeaway from that was the crowd at Chicago five, uh, Soldier Field being about 6,000 people. And you're like, really? All of that? The- Not that I'm here to drag the fire, but it's just... You could drag it makes you fire. wonder. 6,000 people in Soldier Field. I think 2,500 people at Red Bull Arena for New York City FC. Yeah. Weekend. Not a great week for MLS in the attendance column. They don't, they will not be reporting that one on the MLS comms Twitter page. They will not, they will not be. They did post numbers. both numbers on the league website, though. I did notice that. Someone pointed that out. They should have not done that. They should have just been like, no data available. This, the, <laughs> do not check the records on this. Yeah, but big picture, you come away from that position with a point with Red Bulls on the horizon, with, you know, the injury, injury tally piling up. And I'm curious to hear your perspective on that, John. I'm sure you, you've talked about that a lot, but do you think that, you know, that's a, the injury issue is like part of the coach's approach to playing or is it just bad luck or what, what have you been able to glean from it? I don't think it's originally the com- the conversation was all about training, right? Particularly as the season started, it was like, look at the bodies piling up you know, the, the reputation around and around Masada is that, you know, he's doing two a days. Everyone is eating uh, radish salads and they're all, they're, they're all, all sleeping 19 hours a day. They're all uh, overweight. Yeah. Yeah. I asked, by the way, I asked them if, uh, if that BMI story that Pablo dropped about the fact that he's put everybody's number up on the wall in a meeting is true and, and it confirmed it was true. Kevin yeah. said that did actually happen. So that's, uh, that's, that's not fun. Uh, but yeah, I, I think it's, I think it is part to do with the way he plays. I think the, I think the, the full court press as, as long as you can possibly uh, to manage it, particularly for the forwards, I think inevitably we're going to cause you to break down, particularly these are all players that uh, he did not choose. Maybe we're not chosen for this style of play and he's trying to make work and some of them are doing well. Some of them are are adapting, but I think you're going to see body failures of, of players who never intended to run this much or play this way and who are having to do so and you know doing okay at it but i think that's i think that's part of it yeah the that, that's what i was thinking that's what i think about a lot when i watch dc united i don't watch every game like you guys do but when i do catch them just because losadas to me is interesting you know with actual ideas and style and even if it brings some kind of controversy controversy not controversies but uh some kind of collateral damage with it whether or not he has the actual like, can he actually build the roster himself? You have Dave Casper there bringing in these guys. You know, you brought in Roberta from somewhere yeah, in Eastern Sophia. Europe. I can't. <laughs> Sophia, I forget. It's Bulgaria. Like, yeah, and your big, you know, your big money signing is Edison Flores. And he's like, and that's like way before Lasada is even there. He obviously is on many, like big money guaranteed deal. And that's not to say he can't fit into the experience, but, uh, you know, the issue with that that will be also worth following once he's actually can play and you know to kind of push it back against the style of play like even the the sequence leading up to the goal uh the penalty kick that nahar won against the fire like dc strung some passes together and you're like you know you contrast that with the what we saw against red bulls and you know part of that is the styles matching up and the red bulls aren't giving anyone time to play but it was just like it was a reminder that dc can actually pass the ball around when you know, I think the Red Bull game was up. It was not totally typical, but it was a little bit of a, you know, kind of two rocks smacking against each other over and over again. And then each rock kicking each other repeatedly. 
Yeah, I think there there are moments in every not every game, but most of these games where there's you know a 10 15 minute spell where they're playing they're playing soccer. They're playing soccer, right? And and that has not always been the case. In the past you were thinking that you know these are just 11 donkeys out there with that that <laughs> that it, it they they're getting points but it's never going to be pretty. And the the thing here is now he's still, you know, he's still playing with other people's ingredients and it's still at times very attractive soccer. It's not yet I think to the point when he signed he was talking about wanting to be all of the uh you know uh, neutral fans favorite team to watch we're not there yet i don't think i don't think that's i think we're many many steps from getting there but i you know i i think that's a good i think that's a decent thing to be shooting for particularly as a yeah i mean they've had some games where i've flipped it on and it's you know that it's actually ironically been some of the games they've lost too i think it was orlando yep. they lost one zero and they just kept you know getting the ball into the box getting shots that they just couldn't finish to save their lives and it's from you know from my perspective from my background having covered drew scundrich seeing his second life has been a lot surprising especially his role like this past game where he's we'll get into that for sure that was <laughs> that was a, that was a interesting he's not, thing to watch yeah he's actually a guy you know he played stamp at stanford which was a very much a um i wouldn't say similar style but kind of close is when you compare like college soccer to um, obviously it's a little bit different because you get you rotate players in when you're pressing and all that. But, you know, Skundridge is a guy who could fit that style of play. Not, not someone I would put closer up the field like that, but he, he, he knows how to run, even if it's not always to the right spot. Yeah. We'll definitely get into that. That was that I, I was, I was there with my friend Nancy and just trying to figure out why is he playing in that particular location? Yeah. It doesn't, make a lot of sense to me. But I think closing up on the Chicago game, uh, Ernan used, uh, this is now a common refrain in post-game conferences to say, uh, we created 900,000 chances. We should have finished all of them. We did not. Uh, we really needed a forward that can finish those chances. I think in this game was the one where he made the comment, I don't have that player. I need that player to appear uh, either on the team or in another way that's a paraphrase but basically he was saying it could be somebody on the team but i don't think it's going to be i don't think we're going to get that so um he is he's now sounding the, a little bit of the alarm on that particularly as the bodies continue to pile up and yeah we'll talk about that after the new york game like i you know maybe you're calling kai kamara something calling calling somebody that will play for the the veteran minimum who's you don't have to pay a transfer fee or trade any asset for just to have a human body i think might be the way they go <laughs> on, unknown for sure but like you said what about Eric Sorga? Eric Sorga is not the answer. And Eric Sorga is not the answer to any question except for like, I think he, I think he is selling as uh, he's like hawking Estonian snacks on his Instagram with, uh, with, which I think is cool. Good yeah. for him. Supplement that money. Um, but closing out Chicago point on the road, uh, not what you wanted coming in, but like you said, when you're coming, anytime you're coming back uh, from two goals down to get, to get a point, you have to be at least somewhat, somewhat pleased with it. Um, Let's talk about the game that happened most recently on Sunday night. I kept calling it Saturday when I was there because days have no meaning anymore. But um, conservative lineup to start, I think that was sort of the surprise when everyone saw the lineup. Uh, you know, two defensive midfielders with Drew Skundrich on top of that, uh, which is what we'll, we sort of <laughs> sort of got into. Like not your not your normal number ten, sort of in a sort of in an eight role where he was shuttling back and forth, but was getting very close to goal. Uh, Kevin Paredes up top, basically, uh, with Ola Kamara. Uh, they played, you know, in, in, in the beginning of that game, I think that they, you know, the press from the start was was effective as, as per usual. But 
uh, it always seemed like they were missing that third that third piece that is normally up there that normally helps them actually put uh, a, you know get one of their right backs or the left back into a dangerous spot where they make a stupid pass and it gets intercepted. The challenge there was uh, I, Drew was either too far or wasn't effective in the press or or, or Joseph Moore was the other sort of player doing that and he's very conservative about getting forward. Um, but overall, I mean, they played, they, they played it tight. And I think you alluded to it before New York, not in the mood to let people play. Uh, this yeah. was, this was always going to be not, this was never going to be a game you'd want to watch on TV as a neutral, probably. Yeah. When, whenever the, whenever DC plays Philadelphia or Red Bulls, it's, it can just the way the teams both are trying to set up. And I, at least what I know of Losada and what I know of those teams, it's never, it's never going <laughs> to. It's kind of funny how he's bringing this this style when he wants to have neutrals come in and play. But I, I think you can, you know, sometimes see that. And I I think for me one of the biggest takeaways. I know we're going to go through a little bit more detail is how important Julian Gressel is because he's, you know, putting the ball on the platter and you're seeing why he was coveted from Atlanta United. And when you watch Atlanta United now, you wonder why they were so unwilling to pay him. I'm, I'm not. An not a amount crazy of money. amount of money. Nope. No, no I mean, he's on a lot. He makes a good amount of money in the United States of America, but like, <laughs> and then you watch what Atlanta has been doing of late, you know, they're on their what fourth or fifth coach. And the, the thing, things have gone South fast. And uh, I think Gressel getting Gressel and Areola, that's all. Whenever I, when I knew those two were coming here, getting them uh, in sync and working in the same way, I think will be huge for the team down the stretch and just, along with that, keeping those two healthy for sure. Particularly as I think Ernan's uh, shopping list is going to go unheeded. <laughs> so he really hopes those players stay healthy. Uh, I think a quick aside there on, on Gressel, I think there are some Atlanta fans that are projecting a little bit and pretending that they're okay with Brooks Lennon in that spot. And like, well, what's Julian Gressel really doing? I don't know who really cares. And, and if you look at uh, Julian Gressel's expected assists, which is a stat, I had heard of expected goals. I should have assumed that there was an expected assist, but I've never, ever seen it mentioned in any of the things that I read normally. Uh, he is a, a second in the league uh, with that. Yeah, so, he, I was looking through his numbers too. He had five key passes from this game, which, you know, I'm not even 100% sure what key pass metric measures. <laughs> so it's part of the Audi index, I think. <laughs> That's an inside joke for people who are not. <laughs> most people won't get that. Go ahead. But the the number that people can understand is he's by far the way the the team's leader in chances created. And I know part of that is the fact that he takes set pieces and you know you get a shot on target that's a chance created. But regardless, he's a very important player, and you saw that on the on the team's goal. And it should have been a second goal. Who got was that Paredes the header that? Uh, I believe After the, it was Alfaro from the notes that I was looking at. Was that okay? Was, but I, you know, I didn't write that down. In Either way, he should have had he should have had another assist half. at least. Yeah, three so. assists at half. So twenty seventh minute, uh, the first goal that was alluded to. Gressel does a Andy Sullivan like step, uh, anticipating a ball coming back out of the back line, cuts it off. By the way, I don't, I don't have his his miles or his kilometers run or whatever that whatever the we're in America, so miles run. Uh, he was he was up and down the entire game. But in this situation, he, he intercepts the pass, uh, plays into Ola from, I think Ola finishes from maybe like eight yards out, uh, goes, goes crazy, goes over to celebrate with uh, Julian in the corner. Really, you know, I, we talk about Ola a lot uh, on this podcast. Is Good it nice bad. things? Good and bad. Oh, okay. Good and bad. I think he is extremely efficient. You cannot doubt his efficiency. He's got the second most goals in MLS per 90. He's uh, not had 
as many minutes on the field as he'd like, but when he is on, he scores, he scores all of the penalty kicks. I think that sort of maybe bumps up your bumps up your numbers, a, a, a Jaime Moreno late career ask uh, goals per 90 situation maybe, but uh, he finished that one. No, 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 that was no problem there. Unfortunately, uh, things went a little awry in the 40th minute. Uh, he's fouled. Uh, his tooth flies out. He cuts his tongue. Uh, I think he, I think he had just been hit in the head, maybe like five, five minutes before that he was having a very rough go of it from a physical perspective. Uh, whether or not that affected his uh, decision-making in the 45th minute. Yeah. Where that was a, a Gressel's ball there was much better. Gressel's ball there was yeah. 10 out of 10 a plus. Uh, and I was actually sitting in 133, So the pass was coming right towards me so I could see the curve on it. I uh, was just perfectly placed. And then Ola takes maybe 37 touches uh, when he could have taken two. I don't know if he was trying to get it on a preferred foot. Maybe he was. Yeah. It's overtaken, no goal. I was surprised that he had seven goals when I looked at his stats. I was like doing some prep. I should at least know how many, because you know who the leading scorer of the team is, right? Ole Kamara, seven goals. That's way more than I would expect. I don't know why that is way more than I would expect, but I think uh, especially three penalties in that, I think. Yeah, I mean, I'm sure it's uh, inflated a little bit in that regard. Yeah, so that that was that should have been a certain goal, but. Uh, I mean, a hat trick of assists should have been well within reach for Gressel, whoever the Alfaro Pred is. Mystery right. man. man. Mystery screwer, screwer up of chance. Well, that was the harder chance. Uh, Kamara definitely should have found a way to at least get a shot on target. Even if the goalkeeper makes the saves, you know, you tip your hat to him. But you just, you shouldn't dawdle on the ball and let the defender catch up to you and knock the ball away. So. This was a FIFA walk the ball in the net type of scenario that he could have, that, that that's sort of where he maybe, was at. Well, maybe not that quite easy. Well, I, well right. Because there was that, another defender. Hard chance. Yeah, but I mean, you know, in FIFA, you have, you have your skill moves. You have five, five-star skill move to the right and just walked in. Could have happened. Anyway, after that, so I, I, had, uh, I, had, I made a comment uh, that on Twitter people did not agree with, some people didn't agree with, that Ola Kamara, and I agree, agree his confidence after his goal was very high. Cause why would it not be? And he's got the most goals on the team. He's got seven goals. He's literally, he's just, he's, he's, you know, golden boot. Yeah. He's, he's, he is the, he has the own goal of, of 20 of 2021 for, for DC United. But uh, after that play, after he got his bell rung, after his two flew out, after he should have scored a second goal, I think, and I haven't got a chance to go back and look because, you know, I had to watch the spirit game and I have a job, but it, it very much seemed like he was about over five or over six on his passing after that. He was subbed at halftime, not because of the 0 for 5 or 0 for 6. I think probably because his two flew out and they were trying to figure out <laughs> if maybe we should not have him in the game anymore. Uh, but uh, I, I was interested to see how it was going to go for the rest of the game because it was he was he was like talking to himself the rest of stoppage time after he missed that chance because he knew he should have gotten it. And players that even go, even guys with seven goals, he would expect to have more than seven goals, probably, you know. I think he's the second or third in the league for, I think Brian, producer Brian looked the set up earlier, but like. Uh... Sorry about that, everybody. Uh, I think, I think my house might've been struck by lightning. It's hard to say there was a loud noise and then everything went black. So now I'm going to be doing the show from my phone. Uh, producer Brian, if you could also make sure that the stream is still recording uh, so we can later turn this into an actual podcast. Where were we when the, my world ended? Travis we were talking about Oli Kamara's tooth uh yeah and how the now I remember yes so either way uh he he certainly uh would would have liked to have gotten back on I think in the second half and maybe 
you know, finished another one of Russell's a couple different chances, but the second half got a little bit tighter. I don't think there was, uh, there were as many real opportunities uh, throughout the, and in fact, I think we have it here. Uh, no shots, but you know, DC United shut down the Red Bulls entirely in the first half, allowed no shots, one shot all game. So uh, it was really, you know, for, for, for all of that, I got to say in, in the stands watching the game, it felt very tense, especially the last 20 minutes. Like there was uh, DC United lost Kevin Freddy's injury, lost Nigel Bertha for in, to injury. Uh, you had Jordi Reyna playing as the number nine, which is not something you really want to see really generally based on the way he's played for DC United, unfortunately. Uh, but you might, you might be seeing more of that, particularly if Nigel Bertha has a groin injury that looked as bad as it actually was. But the second half, any any big takeaways from the second half of this uh, very physical and ugly game? We can talk yeah, about Drew well, I think, uh, yeah, the maybe you can have Drew Gundrich as your nine, right? That would be yeah, that'd be something else. Get him even closer to goal. No, the the I think the the incessant fouls almost made it. I don't want to say it was unwatchable, but it was just. I think at one point, uh, Fred got Fred Briant got kicked in the face by a Red Bulls attacker who I don't believe even got a yellow card, which. It was completely incidental, but still, I feel like he could have at least shown a card there. Maybe I was wrong and I missed that. But no, seeing Paredes limp off, he obviously had a knock at some point with the U.S. And you know, you, you're probably just going to be sweating on his fitness. And then, you, you know, to have your striker who subbed in to replace your other striker who had his face broke open, that's not good. But hey... I think getting the three points against your rivals, shut, shutting them down totally is something that, uh, you know, when you have, uh, you know, Tony Alfaro, Fred Brion and Andy Nahar as your three center backs, it's, it's something to write home about. It's, you know, for a team that has, as we kind of talked about a little bit, plays a little bit chaotic, but can play a little bit at times getting results, I think is important, especially for the group to buy into what the coach is trying to get across to them, even as what he is trying to get across to them, maybe, causing all of these injuries as well. Aaron, uh, yeah, I think that there's, it's very strange. It's similar to the Washington spirit dynamic in that Trinity Rodman or Ashley Sanchez, the two young, two of the youngest players on the team are unavailable. You're like, I don't know how we're getting three points. Kevin Paredes has become very quickly an integral part of their offensive ability. Uh, I think he's, he's very, it's very visible when he's missing. I think, I think probably be because of, you know, Paul Ariola not being around and also maybe, uh, I don't want to say lack of talent, but there's in, there's injuries in the attacking part of the field, and he has some. He's got you know speed and technical ability that the players who are filling in for those spots do not have. So hopefully that's a short term injury for him. Maybe only missing you know maybe no games, but I would you know our luck is good. I'm sure there will be some something austere on that. Uh, let's let's go back on Drew. So Drew was uh, you you followed you've seen Drew Stanford. I don't know if you watched him in his one season. I'm not, you know you saw Connoisseur uh, as playing in Sacramento. Uh, he was a he was I know he was a key player for them. I know Loud and I were very excited to have him, and then got him for exactly no minutes uh, when Hernan got to train with him and was like, I like this guy. He doesn't. Yeah. Make, I th- I think he likes him because he doesn't make his mistakes. He runs hard. Yeah, and he is not going to. He's not going to make a pass that unlocks the defense, but he's also not going to make a pass that turns the ball over and has a, a counterattack. They run the other way. That's that's my quick read on him. What do we? Yeah, do about him? that. I mean that. That's kind of a, a lot of what Stanford did so well when he was there. When they won, I don't know if he was there for all three of their national championships, but he was a big part of it. He was a deep lying midfielder. You know, he had a little bit more freedom to pass. In and but it's not like he was 
creating a whole lot either in that role. But what Stanford did so well was, you know, sit in, defend really well, take their chances, but they didn't make mistakes and they waited for other teams to make mistakes. And I think that, you know, when you look at the way Hernan wants to try to play, that someone like Drew Scundridge can definitely be a, a solid, like back of the end of the roster player. And then obviously, you know, it's a benefit because he gets to live in the same city as his wife, not all the way across the country. So um, I think he was pretty good for, at the Republic as well. I didn't watch a whole lot of West Coast USL, but I, I believe he had a pretty good time. You know, like those 10 p.m. Eastern starts? <laughs> not when my kids get up at yeah. 5.30 every day. I, I, so. I think that, right, right, right. So that's, that's, a, that's a non-starter for sure. Uh, yeah, I mean, I think other than, you know, my conversation about what he was doing with the press and sort of being pulled in between those two those two demands. So normally he's expected to not be that close to goal to do the, to, to do the defensive work and to, you know, press and create turnovers and then hand the ball over to more offensively minded players. He was forced into a, a role where I think they were expecting. And I'm on mute. I was saying that I'm broadcasting the, to the inside of the tornado. I think we're not going to make it to the entire episode here, but, and I'm frozen, I think, but Drew Skundrich played 90 minutes after being injured uh, for, I think, two months with a meniscus, having no opportunity to sort of ramp up his play uh, and uh, plays a full 90 when is, when is required. So, you know, it's fun to make fun of his limitations, but he, he did a good job and, and, and filled a role. Uh, let's talk about, I'm going to let you mostly talk since I am sure. again in a tornado. Uh, Julian Gretzel, man of the match, uh, almost scores the Wayne Rooney from, from midfield. Uh, around the, an extra time and basically ran the entire game did a Paul Ariola like level of you know I'm going to inspire this team by not giving up any plays just running uh lung busting the entire time and then also you know making some technically proficient passes what did you see about him and as far as uh you know th- this is sort of the player they were hoping they were going to get from Atlanta yeah exactly that, that I think we talked a little bit about that and it's underscores when Gressel's on, he can be such a huge player. I do think they need to make sure there's enough pieces around him. We talked a little bit about that too, where, you know, if he's passing it to guys in the box that aren't making good decisions or aren't passing, you know, just, or not finishing like, you know, Kamara did. I think that finding that balance between, okay, how, how do you fit Paul in? How do you fit Julian in? I think maybe Paul could be in the Drew Skundich role and play a similar find a similar amount of six or I just called something the Drew Skundrish role, which amuses me, but the, <laughs> <laughs> but no, like you, if you can, cause we saw Gressel play so well with Atlanta when they were playing in a three back. So I think that could be a really key place for, you know, the way the, the style of play could be really good fit for a big second half for Gressel. And, you know, if Edison Flores can thrive, then maybe something, similar could happen with the team going forward because that's going to uh, really impact the way things are. Sorry. There's a lot of videos going around me and it's really throwing me off. Sorry. Sorry. <laughs> We've, there we go. There we go. We're back to it. Producer Brian is having to re to rejigger the uh, video as we go. I hope that is the last time I'm going to have to broadcast a live podcast for my phone with no Wi-Fi, which is what I was just doing there. So yes, the Drew Skendrick role is one that we're going to have to fill going forward. Edison Flores. I'm just, just glad I, I was on this podcast and I have invented that term for you guys yeah, to use. No, that's gonna, we're going to use that probably every week. Uh, so uh, other other things that of note of this game, uh, the style of play, 
not among them. Uh, Hamid, Bill Hamid with his fourth clean sheet of the year, 74th of his career, which is ninth most uh, all time in MLS. Again, if you want something that makes you feel old, it's well, Bill, Bill seems like he should be 40. And I, and I rem- look at how old he is and I'm like, oh, yep. Because I nope, remember, <laughs> you know, back back in the day when I was around RFK, you know, a couple of times you run, you run across him and when he was a teenager and now he's not very much not a teenager. So uh, again, I think he's, he's somebody that is critical getting Birnbaum, you know, back into form. I know that he hasn't seen much time on the field. He's been fighting not injuries. Uh, you have, you have the depth of your Lasada to stick with this rebound back line. I think it's more about, you know, keeping guys healthy and making it work offensively. And if you, if you can't bring in another players, which let's be honest, there are limitations to that. That's probably not happening. You need to find a way to make it work in the final third. Cause I think that, you know, they can be solid enough. They can be difficult to play. Even if they do give up some, you know, the goals they gave up, especially against Chicago, they were a little bit unlucky. You know, one was like a deflected shot that Hamid had covered, but you know, was that knocked into the net by Nahar. So I think that you're not going to learn a ton from the rebels game just because of the, the way the styles clash. You just want to grind that out. You want to get that result. And that's why I think the game turned into what it was. Not to mention the fact that the rebels, you know, as I was watching it towards the end, you just kind of flipping through and you're like, why do they just keep kicking each other? And the only time the, the camera would, would be still was then when you <laughs> would have zoomed in on the ref who had called a foul and was like getting ready for the restart. So it was, it was not a, not, not a game for the purists, but a lot of the games between those, these two teams nowadays are not. Do you think something you said about we're, we're, you know, reflecting on the fact that there are unlikely to be a little player additions this, this window. And maybe, I don't know, I don't know what, I don't know what the next window looks like either. Hopefully at least that's a little different. Do you see this coach having a similar situation of Matias Almeida in San Jose where every off season it's like, Maybe, you know, somebody else is looking after him like, oh, well, you know, we'll bankroll you. We've seen what you've been able to do with DC United, uh, making them at least watchable uh, with with creating, no, you know, not really buying anybody else. Do you think DC United is any is any sort of threat about having the attention on or not and, and maybe having him leave before his three year deal is up, particularly if they don't bankroll him? It could certainly be if he feels like he's not supported. I feel like that's hard to know because then. Does he feel like he has other opportunities? Like if, if something comes across his plate, I think maybe he would be more inclined to pursue something like that. Whereas if he gets some support and gets some players in, that's going to be really fascinating. I didn't even think about that, but I think the Almeida thing, I think there's a little bit more because Almeida is very much, he's all about the man-to-man man marking. And I think that's even more demanding than what Lozada is trying to do. So I think that you are going to be able to find more players that can impact the game. And I, I don't, I don't really know what it would take. You probably need about a striker, a midfielder, maybe a better defender. And you, you're looking at a big upgrade, but. That's what he wanted. He wanted one from every line. And yeah. he, te- he technically got that, but I don't think the players he got were the ones he was expecting necessarily. I think uh, all the, I mean, although Andy Nahar has somehow become an, ir- an irreplaceable cog for this team. <laughs> Which He's no the one... Kyle Walker of DC United. There you go. <laughs> there you go. I've not heard that before. Yeah, no, I think the I think the challenge there too is that we we already talked about. It. Like he could he could go. He's on a lot of money. You're you might have to reach re, re, rejigger that contract if you want him to stay. If the interest that was talking about him is real, I think you know Boa Vista in Portugal is not a team you have to go to. 
uh, nor is unnamed team in Belgium. So it's not like it's not like Manchester United is calling off. Of but that's that's also you know agent games going on in the background looking for his next move to either get a a deal from DC or a better deal, a much better deal versus are those actual legit options? I mean, I'm sure they are to an extent. I know that the Andy's agent is also represent Reggie Cannon who plays at Boa Vista, who also Reggie Cannon is not getting paid right now. So, so probably not there then. (laughs) That seems like a bit of a stretch. They have some things to work out off the field, but yeah, that's going to be fascinating. How, even when you have somebody who's a little bit less mobile than Andy playing, that right center back spot, is that still going to work within the style? You know, will that work next to Gressel? Because you have somebody like Andy that can, you know, he's not the speedster that he was when he was younger after all of his injuries, but, you know, he's able to clean up messes behind Gressel when Gressel's doing his thing up front, right? So, you know, that that piece of the puzzle will have to be sorted out. So He will also be the unquestioned leader in dribbles completed for center backs at MLS. Yes. It will not be close. If they actually, if that was a, if that was a stat they kept track of on the MLS website, it would be him and then 20 other spots between them for the next person. Um, the way I, I have on here to talk about the wave and I only am talking about this because I got a lot of comments on Twitter about this. Uh, I would say I am, I'm anti the wave. I don't know. I don't know if, I don't know if you saw that. I feel like it happens every couple years. And I tweet about how bad the wave is. And there are lots of people that agree with me because it is bad. And the people who are doing it happen to not be following DC United soccer podcasts on Twitter. So we're not hearing from them because that's, <laughs> those are different groups, I think. Uh, but I think where's our Venn diagram. Yeah. It's a, uh, it's over the circle all the way off screen. I think is the people who are uh, big okay. fans of the wave, the uh, yeah, I think it was going on from like the 70th minute on. And I wasn't expecting it. I just got, I, I was hearing the far side of the stadium go crazy. I was like, Oh, something exciting happened in this game that's that would be great but no it was it was the wave that started in the very early in the game and went pretty much till the end that's 20 minutes of staying up getting up out of your seat every so often yes i i i like the rocks the wave was crashing on you do uh, sound like an old man yelling at a cloud right now though yep i, should I don't say care okay. this is this is where i'm gonna this is where i will put down stakes i'm okay <laughs> with that you know there's there's some things that are good about getting older and uh and, and being against the wave and feeling okay and confident is one of those things. Uh, yeah. Well I, done. I, I don't know if we're, I don't, I, you know, I, that happened a little bit, I think more in uh, Rooney era. I don't, uh, as it goes, if you're winning by like four goals or losing by like four goals, then I do what you want. Who cares? Uh, yeah. I think, I think it is a little bit unusual to in a one zero game against your biggest rival, to be not that people are tuning out, you can still watch a game of soccer and do the wave. Let's be honest. It does not require a lot, but it does feel like a little bit off, just a little bit. I'm not going to yell at the cloud. It, yeah. I, yeah. Allow me to yell at the cloud. Uh, Carbine cat, a friend of the show likes the wave because it makes people angry on Twitter uh, because he is not yet old where he, he, he's okay with things of this nature. Uh, but yeah, I mean, guys, let's, I don't know. Let's not, I, Listen, if we're down by four next time, I, as this game goes, yes, one nothing against a rival, maybe don't. But also, there were three shots total in the game, and the second yeah. half was the kind audience. Of bad. The audience was was kind of bo- like it's one weird thing where it's like the audience. I could understand why they're a little bit okay. Nothing's happening. The players are kicking each other more than the ball. <laughs> yep. And we're just gonna do the wave, but then you don't have that like sort of tension. Like if there are a bunch of, I don't think it would have been going on 
if you had like chances at each end, if, you know, Red Bulls hit the post or whatever, I think it might've been, I think you need to relax a little bit and just realize that it might've been to do with the game state as well. I'm sure that's what it was. I'm sure that all of the, all of the way people were ana- analyzing the game state and they're like, you know, I don't know. The expected goals this, this last 20 minutes is very low. <laughs> yeah. I'm, I know what I just said is ridiculous <laughs> and I will never be invited on here again. <laughs> Uh, well, the Drew Skendrick, uh, this Drew Skendrick <laughs> role will keep you on. Uh, the, mentioned in the chat, I'm not going to get into this too much. Usually, this is this is the domain of RFK refugees is, is messy supporter drama. So that's sort of where we cut our teeth. So you would think this would be our story. The challenge here is I don't believe that the information is quite out on this yet. I think by the time our next episode comes around, it might be, and then we'll probably talk about it. Uh, but I believe the leader of Lobanda uh, got a five-year ban. Uh, for any to come to any games and the rest of uh, the rest of the group just left. Uh, he got his ticket scanned and they told him, sorry, you're banned for five years. Uh, there's rumors about why that is. I'm not going to talk about those at all. Uh, but I think by next week, we'll find out what that was. The, the, the vibe was off. Certainly. Uh, I think that, you know, there were some drums left. I think that you know, normally they're the, the drum element of the supporters group. So it was a little hollowed out for sure. It was noticeable, but uh, I not so noticeable that I was for sure something was amiss until I got on Twitter after the fact. Yeah, I, I don't, I, I can't, I, my expertise does not extend to RFK, not RFK, what, what did I just say? It's all right. The, the DC United name. support, DC United supporter drama. So I will, I will leave that to you. I will leave that to Ted when he returns and you guys can break that down. We will. I can, talk about, I can talk about the, I can talk about the Drew Scunda troll. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, we will we will turn we will turn whatever this is into like a mini series. Where we I just want to call him the... Mr. Andy Sullivan because that is fine. I do as that well. too. Yeah, I, I I was thinking about. I'm that sure today. it's not. Like, I'm sure it's not an original thing, but we, we're doing it on Twitter. It's fun. It feels it feels good and bad at the same time. I feel like I don't know Drew enough to. But yeah, I think what I said was uh, once Drew makes the national team, we can we can reassess who we're gonna call call what i think that's where i think what's where we're at or if the drew scundrich role becomes uh more ingrained in the team and then we have to revisit just from that perspective that he's yeah he's just changed the way dc united plays uh forever <laughs> uh so next game for dc united is against fc cincinnati i cannot imagine a better opponent uh considering dc united is a, a, once again the walking wounded uh from you know similar to the beginning of the year you know running out of forwards for sure uh but they also get a week's rest so there's no midweek game this week um, Ernan can, uh, you know, pray to the, pray to the physical, the, the physio gods that, uh, Kevin Paredes can make it. Uh, but yeah. Your most, most important player is now, is he 17 still? 18 now. I think he had a birthday recently. Okay. Happy birthday, Kevin. Yeah. Happy birthday, Kevin. <laughs> I think it was, he came, he came on the show right after he scored his first goal and after his first national team camp and the following game, he did not play because he was injured or, did uh, you, um, did you ask him about the city football group rumors? Or advise him not to make that. No, move. that was that was the that came out the day. Yeah, it's like, uh, uh, just just keep on, just keep your head down, man. Keep going. You're gonna you're gonna be playing for Melbourne City uh, in, in in no time. Uh, or what about yeah. the one in Japan? Whatever club they own in Japan. Yeah, or... what was that? What is that? Uh, did um did David Villa play there also after at New York City FC? I don't. I don't I'm not. Know. I'm not 100 sure. I don't think it, I don't think he played for the one that was owned by City Football Group. But now we're getting into the weeds. But uh, that's where we should be. I think we should be talking about the extended City Football Group universe. I do think it'll be interesting to see how Kevin Paredes and Moses Nyman sort of evolve, and to a lesser, at least obvious extent, Griffin Yao in the MLS really wants to sell players approach that they're now taking. 
Uh, you know, when you're, uh, you know, when you see teams like FC Dallas sh shipping off of guys who are not exactly first team players, uh, not that's not that to mean that they're good, not good, but it'll be interesting to see if DC can keep that up in terms of actually having their academy function. Uh, you know, it, it, I was just thinking about this beforehand too. Like, how is it that Philadelphia Union have such a better academy than DC United, at least the past few years? Obviously, there are many reasons for it. We don't need to go into whole academy. Get Charlie, thing. We'll, we'll get Charlie on. We'll have a, we'll have a three person round table about exactly that question. <laughs> go ahead. Yeah. I mean, I don't actually don't know if people these days at the academy to even speak to it, but you know, it just makes you wonder why, what, what exactly like, you know, Brendan Aronson, Mark McKenzie, you know, your multi-million dollar transfer is like DC United has not been doing that. And there's a reason for it. So um, I'd be interesting to see how that unfolds, especially it's like someone like Paredes is becoming such a key player because I never thought he would actually sign. I met some English guy at a, at a tournament once who was talking about how he had, so he, he had taken Gabriel, he was an English scout in Brazil and he'd taken Gabriel Martinelli who plays at Arsenal to Manchester United three times. They never signed him. Anyway, he, he likes working on the kids that are like not here, but a little bit lower. And this is the reason for my story is he was working with Kevin and had helped him improve and get into the U16 national team camp. This is just a couple years ago. And so I'm thinking here, thinking Kevin's just going to wait till he's 18, not going to sign with DC United ever. So I was surprised even when he did it. And it's, again, he's obviously continued to go up like that uh, in terms of his ability and development. So uh, I think, I think it was, I don't mean, I don't, it, disparaging Ben Olsen is, it's not easy. He's a nice guy, but like, it makes you wonder like Losada, how much is Losada? What's the Losada effect with these guys, with Moses Nyman, with, uh, Paredes even more so just because of the way you know, Paredes plays and what he does well I feel like is a good fit for the funky attacking style that they're playing I think am I wrong you, I don't know I, I think that both of those players got a number of starts last year under Ben Olsen as the teams were decimated in the weird year yeah yeah uh, so I think that those I think that has as much to do with their development currently as the yeah coach. I mean I it think, could be like the coach could also be irrelevant in the factor obviously it's not but uh, I just wonder about their stride so far, how it related is to the coach that the front office stumbled backwards into. All right. I'm, you're Lucy Rushton now. This is my on the spot question here. You have two players that are getting an increasing international attention. As you said, DC United has no track record of, of being able to convert on those young talents to sell, to sell them. Chris Durkin being a kind of an exception, I guess. Um, and Ian Harks being kind of an exception. Uh, Ian Harks was a free. I they think. released him to let him look for another club. Durkin, Durkin was a transfer. Durkin was a million-dollar transfer. Andy was, Andy was also a transfer way back. Right. I'm, I'm, I guess I mean more the new regime. Yeah, post. yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. Uh, do you allow these players to continue to grow? So uh, both of them now on the national team fringes. Both of them now, you know, you know, are Kevin scoring goals now in, multiple, in consecutive games, team of the week. Do you allow these players to continue to grow with the hope that it only goes up from here? Or do you try to cash in early on the hype that's now around both of these players? Cash say say you're 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 putting more of a money on your 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 sell-on clauses worth it first trying to make sure that you're getting, you know, five, seven, ten million or whatever you think you're gonna get for both those players. What do you do for both? I think I th I think for at least one, if you have a good deal sooner rather than later, as long as you have the sell on fee you and it's the right opportunity for the player then you do it if it's a city football group type opportunity and i you know maybe it's what the player wants you know obviously that's a factor too mm -hmm. 
but if it's like a good stepping stone club where you could also then that player will develop let's say it's like a not premier league or whatever the higher like a not a spain france france can't buy anyone they're broke we're the but, uh, that's our ml i think mls should be legal like that's what we, that's where stop talking about league of choice stop talking about like that's who we are we are now going to be the shop window for the teams that can afford our young players well i think they should be buying players from france and then selling them to other leagues too arbitrage i think that's right we should do that that's a uh, making deals so but, all right that makes i think that makes sense i, I think, think i think you find the right opportunity you don't rush to do it. I think it depends on the deals that these kids have signed. If they're on five to six year contracts and how that translates to a player's value, you know, you, you also have, if like the Brandon Aronson moves work, work out, if you have the Tanner Testaments, that even the eyes will be even further on the American player too. So that'll definitely help your cause as well. I'm wondering too, if, you know, there's obviously an FC Dallas halo effect for, for the rest of their players based on the effect the ability, you know, how, how some of their players have turned out. Do you see that as an MLS wide uh, halo effect? Is everyone sort of seeing, well, like, look at all these players, obviously Philly is like FC Dallas junior, as far as, you know, consistently turning out. Uh, yeah. Content. I mean, it, it certainly helps, you know, you can go back to Alfonso Davies, the fact that he came from eminent MLS team and went to a huge club like Bayern and has done so well, that helps you know, even the Weston McKenney, Christian Pulisic, I mean, it, like it all comes down to honestly Pulisic and McKenney really mm -hmm. that they were able to, even though neither was, well, one was at FC Dallas, was, but no, 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 neither pr produced transfer fees. So like that sort of opened the door. Cause then these other teams are like, Oh, American players don't totally suck these right. days. <laughs> right. So now they're, their scouts are not just taking these trips to Florida or to these, uh, you know, showcase events and, looking for a, you know, looking for a nice two week vacation. Cause they didn't tell the club that the event is only five days and they go for <laughs> true story. This is the guy speaking of what he knows here. I, I have a feeling that is a very much lived experience. Uh, I mean, seen. unless the, unless the scouts were lying to me, that, that is what one when I was like, Oh yeah, I told the club it was 14 days and I, you know, it was like a six day thing. So, you know, cause the Europeans love their sunshine, but anyways, back to the point. I'm curious to see when, if and or when not DC United can kind of ramp that up, because I think what that does is convince your owners you need to be investing in it. And it's hard, I think, for bottom line oriented people. And that's not just saying the DC United owners are bottom line oriented. It goes for all of MLS, all sports business, you know, and with the way that like the, the, that can fluctuate too makes it challenging because you're like, well, you know, we've spent $5 million in the past two, three years on our academy, and yet no one's been sold. Um, you also have to probably like, are we producing players for our first team too? Because then you're not going out and spending that money to buy someone if you have a striker who's in your academy. And there's not a, you know, not a Ford that comes to mind if thinking like a Ford prospect for DC United's none. academy. Not, I mean, not like, I like even the guys on the team right now are like sort of the best of the 0203 group. Like there's not even like really good, like it's starting to like flip a little bit. Guys are going to bigger, like, but they're like, there's not even a ton of DC United Academy products, like doing well at division one men's soccer programs. Like it's Adam, and, Adam Lundgaard was one that they were looking at. Jeremy Gray, obviously one that they've yeah. signed now. Before. Gray's, Gray was good. He, he should be a, a player that can come in and impact the game of impact that must seem eventually. Uh, maybe a little bit later, but Lingard's going to go to Clemson, and then there are guys committing committing to UVA for twenty, you know, next year, and 
you know, what have you. And then as I met, alluded, I don't know if we were recording, but the U15 looked pretty good. Um, but obviously that's a long way to go. Those kids are born in 2006 to make you feel Jesus. old again. <laughs> Jesus. How's Brian Kao doing in, uh, is he at Wolfsburg U, U19s or something? He was doing well, but it's kind of a black hole right now. Like the news that is available and I haven't checked in yet. That's a season. Which, which then also reminds me of Eric Williamson, which is now, now <laughs> becoming much more of the one that got away here for, for DC United. Less, less a Mikey Seaton, more, a, more a, <laughs> a player that you're actually like, shit, we, we may have given up a little bit early on this one. That was a playing time question. If I recall correctly, that was the conversation. You know, I think it was Goff that had the source close to the player, but uh, as DC United were looking at signing him to a deal, there was no sort of promises of, of time in the midfield from Ben Olsen and in the club. And he said, all right, fine. I'll go to a better team. <laughs> I'll go to Portland. And then the thing went. is though, he like didn't play for like a few years he because he went, he was playing Portland too for a little bit. I think. And he went on loan to um, the, the, the Portuguese team that plays Santa Clara. Do you remember that? You probably don't remember that. Yeah. He, so he went on loan for like half a year to a team that plays in the Portuguese league, but they're like on this like tiny Island group. That's like pretty far away. I think it's called Santa Clara, the club. I'm not sure what the islands are called, but it seemed like he was just ready for a vacation and ready to like give up on the whole soccer thing. And then now he's on the national team and playing pretty well. It worked out for him. Um, it did not work out for DC United as it well. It did not. Big whiff, <laughs> big, big whiff there. I think, uh, what, see, this is a question for you. How, how much do you still remember your MLS roster imaginations? Probably not as well. <laughs> How much, this is from Gregory on Twitch, how much do a million dollar transfers help in a world with Garber Bucks? With players you produce out of your academy, it's still pretty good. Yeah, you get all that. From what I know is you get all the allocation money from a transfer. Like you get to you, you get to max out your, whereas you only get a certain percentage if it's like a player you have purchased. Like the Miguel Amaron transfer, for example, they had brought him in, they sold him to Newcastle. And they did not get the sort of the, that full allocation, whereas you get the full hit if you sell an academy player, which is for one of the re- tweaks they made because teams were like, this is stupid if I'm going to, what's my incentive to sign, like to let this player go if I'm going to have to spend more to then bring, whether it's allocation money or real money, like I'm going to have to spend more money to bring that guy, bring in a replacement if like I have an 18, 19 year old starter, right? Right. So that was part of the the whole thing they're trying to change. Uh, Doug on Twitter also says we were talking about the 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 high points of the development side of MLS. He's saying he loathes to say it, but Red Bull has become a nice talent factory. Clark looked like the real deal. It was it was interesting that he made it back in time to start and play in that game. He did not factor in. He was he was pretty anonymous for that game. Luckily he's a, he's for, still uh, an inconsistent player, but. What's interesting about Clark is that he was, he's not as, you know, technically a rebel product. He was, he's a Minnesota native who was playing in Minnesota and then moved to the Barca Academy in Arizona. I actually saw him play there in December, 2019. And then he was like, I want to be pro. And hilariously when Red Bull signed him, they had to give Minnesota United, which didn't have an Academy for his age group, uh, some like fake money, Garber money. I can't remember what it was exactly, but it was, this league can be so stupid sometimes. The good MLS, the good because I think that MLS. I think you could really throw things up. Just throw everything open. Kids can sign wherever they can. You can turn MLS academies into recruiting centers. Like 
division one college, like division one athletics. I mean, you got to regulate it a little bit. So it doesn't get too crazy, but you know, if there's like a ton of good players in LA that the galaxy Academy isn't looking at, shouldn't Portland be able to like grab some of the, like the, you know, the 10 to 20 guys and give them opportunities or something like that. So I agree. Anyway, we got, we'll, we'll pass that along till, till we got, we're going, we're, we're going out stuff. there. That's what, what this is. That's what we're, we're going for a walk this episode. Um, I think that's, that'll wrap the DC United section of this, the, of this podcast. So that was a, uh, you know, three points. I believe they are that they were before the game, they were one spot above Red Bull in the standing. So I believe now they're continuing to be at least one spot. I haven't looked at the standing <laughs> since the game, but uh, still close, outside of the playoff picture, but close to the playoff picture. Close. Not, not quite there. Plenty of games to play still. Uh, and, you know, with, with uh, the United States going to the next round and the gold cup, that's a little bit longer before Paul will be able to return. Donovan Pines also apparently picked up an injury. Um which is not great. We don't, I mean, not, not fantastic from a center back depth perspective when he was to return. Um, but uh, the fact that Burnbaum did not re snap his ankle ligaments in Philadelphia and he was able to actually come back mm-hmm. and, and play the last five minutes in, in New York game makes me a little bit uh, less uh, concerned about Donovan not being able to immediately jump back in the lineup. Well, they'll lose a the guitar. So he'll be back soon enough. Yeah, <laughs> that's, that's true, man. That's a whole, that's a whole podcast right there. <laughs> yeah. How, how they're there, how they're doing. It's a whole, it's all great. Uh, but well, uh, go ahead. I think they play at the, the, what is the kind mobile? What's the Copa America too this year? Apparently. Do they? Qatar yeah. did already. Oh, I, I, they didn't place as well. I don't think that they dominated <laughs> as well. <laughs> Can't believe I that. I could be wrong about that, but I heard that and I was like, wait a second, really? They're doing yeah. their whole like world tour before. Yeah, World Cup. Where they're all... they're making sure that they get out of the group stage. That is all that this is about. <laughs> they will spend. They will play anybody anywhere on the moon to make sure that they're ready to knock it. Just get kick out, kick us some money from Qatar Airways, and you get it. You get an invite. You could play any tournament. You know, the Capital Cup should have been a great spot for Qatar to play. I don't know why DC United didn't call uh, Emirates <laughs> Airlines. Uh, Washington Spirit played also same day, same time. Guys, stop doing this, please. Please don't do this did, anymore. Did you watch the game on your phone? No, I while, did not. Before, while you're at the, <laughs> I did not. I did have. It was funny because I have the Wi-Fi password for for the press press box. Like, could have done it. I did not. Uh, I had to watch it after like a like a big dummy. But guys, stop doing this, please. Uh, but two nothing win against Racing Louisville, which is the reverse of the score of the game that they previously played Louisville. Uh, they lost. That was their first loss of the season. Uh, but goals for Ashley Hatch and Sam Staub. Ashley Hatch. Uh, uh, golden boot uh, leader so far right now. I believe she's got seven goals, I think is the number. Uh, I'm very concerned that every game she seems to have some sort of concussion symptoms or has to be evaluated for concussion. Uh, I don't, that does not seem sustainable for a full NWSL season. So I hope that they're able to, to sort that out. But she, uh, the, that her goal was pretty impressive. Uh, great tackle by Ashley Good Sanchez. Finish. Uh, yep. Mid, uh, win, wins possession in the midfield. Tara McKeown. Gets her first uh, assist, first time she's on been on the score sheet at all. Uh, and Ashley looked like she was going to push it too far towards the end line, sort of took away her angle, but was able to push it far post uh, past the racing Louisville goal- goalkeeper. Um, Louisville, I, I know, I know that uh, that Travis watched some of this game, but Louisville looked pretty dangerous to me. Uh, the, as far as if, if you look at the stats, the way they broke down, uh, pretty evenly matched, despite the uh, uh, as far I think they were even on shots or very close. Uh, the spirit had the better opportunities. Uh, Aubrey Bledsoe had a number of saves that she was able to make without moving. So yeah. That's, that's, you like to see that if you're, if you're the spirit, but 
Um, they looked a lot better than when I've seen them play earlier in the year. They look very good for a, an expansion side that uh, spent their biggest chits in the expansion draft on two players that are never going to play for them, uh, which was, which is, you know, Christian press and, uh, and, and Tobin Heath not coming, not never going to come big, big old swinging, swinging a miss there wasted lit $150,000 of allocation money on fire on a bet. It's not going to pay. Well, off. it's fake money. So it's no worries. That's true. That's true. I do want to talk about that. Uh, Ashley Sanchez tackle. That yeah. was, that was like, it was a, like a Hernan Lozada pressing up high the pitch. Uh, and I think, you know, it's another player who I watched as a teenager, Ashley Sanchez. It's good to see her doing well in NWSL because I was a little bit worried if she'd get, I don't want to say bullied, but, you know, smaller framed players sometimes can struggle in you know, women's soccer in this country just because of the way some teams play uh, and just, a, you know, reliance on physicality and athleticism, which I know it's cliche to throw that out there, but, uh, you know, Sanchez is a very skilled player and I'm glad that. Um, you know, she's becoming a two-way menace from when I, you know, flip on spirit games. And I think the, the attackers they have, you know, Trinity Rodman, Sanchez, McEwen, you know, Ashley Hatch, very, it can be a very exciting team going forward for sure. Yeah, actually has been, uh, Sanchez has been a fouls committed magnet at some games when teams sort of decide they're going to key in on her. They've been able to mark her out of not never full games. I think that they're able to usually control the game for 45 minutes, mark her out of the game push the ball to the wings where so, so she doesn't get a chance to get on it, but inevitably in every game she's played this season, there has been about a 20, at least a 20 to 30 minute stretch where she takes the game over. And it's, it's, it's really exciting to watch from the perspective of a fan because it's just, uh, there's not really an answer for her. You're right that she's, you know, physically, I don't want to say outclassed, but she is, she is, she's smaller than any, most of the center back she's going against or trying to dribble pass, but she is able to evade most of them. And as, as really, I think, I think her mentality has really helped her a lot. I think she is. Yeah, there was definitely knowing the kind of player she is. That was a thought of something I would be, I was going to be watching. And so far she's like chucked that out the window and said, no, I, I can handle this. She looks more ready than I thought she would be. And obviously she turned pro last year, right? Last year was her first season. Yep. Yeah. And you, your first pro season is this super pseudo super weird year and, and then now you're coming in and taking a big step forward. I'm, I'm curious to see if she ever get looks from the national team with the way that works. It's just always impossible to know if you're not Megan Ram Rapino or the big name players, like will they give kid players like that looks? So it'll be interesting to see post Olympics. What, if there are any shifts in players like Sanchez and Rodman and, you know, heck maybe even Ashley Hatch gets a, gets a look. If they keep yeah. playing like this, obviously gotta be yeah. consistent. You know, that Ashley asked sort of the U.S. setup at the beginning of the season what they needed to see more from her. And she's like, you know, just score more goals. Uh, particularly the, if you could do that at the national team level, that would make it even easier for us to call you back again. So uh, I told her it was very much the uh, the first job out of college requiring experience situation. But she she is she's been clinical this year. Like I said, I just hope she can stay on the field. I hope it's I hope she's not doing herself any disservice by by making herself available. Um, for the rest of the game, uh, did you happen to see the flip throw in the 42nd minute? Uh, the flip throw. Yeah. How often are you seeing that youth tournament still? I know when I was growing up, that was like a thing that was cool. So people were still trying it a lot. Is that, is that in the bag for a lot of it's youth not, teams? You see it every so often. There was a guy at the university of Washington that was pretty, he had a really good flip throw like four or five years ago. Like this, this flip throw did not impress me because it, 
did not clear the first defender. <laughs> it did result in a corner, but it was uh that was I think more of a mess. I was up like, than a... really? Is that what you're? I think I saw. I was at a tournament in the end of July, and I did see one or two, I believe. But it's not. I honestly, at this point, players can just throw the ball far enough that you don't need to flip. Like you can get the ball, like between close enough between the six yard box and they like the penalty like and then you have somebody in the front and you head it on like i don't know why they had a, didn't have a player yeah. closer like why did louisville not have a player like coming towards the ball at least to flick it on right that's the whole point of it it's like she didn't um, tell him that was coming it's like that was a surprise to the team but i feel like you there. should i do too i do too i think that's definitely a team decision uh, <laughs> lauren millet i think was the one who did i think that's something you gotta or milliet i'm not sure how you pronounce it um I do think that the there was a contra big it was an interesting contrast like the this game and the because I, I did watch I believe it was the first matchup between these two teams have they just played twice yes twice, and I feel twice like in Louisville. I feel like the spirit were like cutting them to pieces in the first game but then couldn't finish and then gave up a couple goals and so not that not that Louisville was that good oh you know offensively obviously they created chances but it was an interesting contrast that the results kind of flipped a little bit even though I feel like the Spirit were still the deserved winners. I don't want to come across like I was saying, oh, you know, Louisville deserved to win or anything like that. But they were not clinical. They were they were they were creating opportunities, but they were not uh, they were not being very uh, precise with them. Uh, the the lead should have doubled in the 47th minute. Uh, Robin and Sanchez had a 2v1. Great defending by a local product, Emily Fox, I believe is from Loudon. She's from Northern Virginia, I believe. Yeah, it? you're uh, correct. Great play to to stop that. The announcer was like, "Those are the two players you do not want to see running down on you in a two v one." And true, uh, and they are correct. So I, as a as a somebody watching it from the other end, I was like, "Man, that's not." But they were able to keep that one out. They were not, however, able to keep out Sam Staub in the fifty eighth minute, fresh off having her red card rescinded. That red card was wild. I'm not sure if you saw that play at the uh, the, the previous game uh, at Segura where the referee. I missed it. I, I did see the the. the stories about how the red card was rescinded but i did not actually see the play itself yes so it was a foul outside the box uh that was a dog so that they gave to Paige nielsen and then they said oops it wasn't actually Paige; it was sam and then uh so like three minutes later they finally were able to uh, go on with play but they got that rescinded because it it was not actually a dog so because literally it could have given it to two different players since she actually did it was (laughs) it could have given it to either one of them because they were both there and there was uh, not an opportunity to go on goal they got that rescinded. Luckily, that's great because uh, the Spirit are very short on defenders at the moment. Uh, was able to score off a corner. Uh, I believe it was uh, Taylor uh, Aylmer. Aylmer, she's new. I don't know her. Uh, this is her first game, so I'm not going to feel too bad about not knowing her pronunciation guide yet. Uh, but this is her first. Uh, Come there, on, were, I, there were like six players, uh, national team replacement players, that are basically making up most of the bench now. Uh, so that's basically the second half you become sort of like a, who's, who is this person? I don't know this person, uh, but was able to score. Uh, and that was great, great revenge for her. Uh, Mickey Owen almost gets her first goal in the 68th minute. Um, again, there were some opportunities for, for Louisville, the rest of the game, but none really, uh, none really concerning the spirit They're They're, they're in a good position for, uh, there, I believe they're now in third. I don't want to make sure that's right before I say, but I think they're in third, the, the top uh six, very close i the checked top, the, the 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 top six roles are like within three points four points of each other it's very very dense in the top of the league uh can't, it's it's basically the entire league and then kansas city is how the 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 standings appear to be 
the the uh, the, the spirit are, are fascinating to me and, and the NWSL because you know we talk about development in the men's side, but seeing you know players like Trinity Rodman, lesser so Ashley Sanchez look to leave school early. People keep asking me if that's going to be a trend. Not keep asking me. Not a lot of people ask. Me. Literally I, hundreds of people every day ask Travis. <laughs> <this question. laughs> no, a few people have asked me. I should say it that way. That is a little more accurate. If that is a trend, we will see more in the, the women's game. And I, I tend to not think it'll be. I feel like some players will feel like they need to push themselves. You know, the, the national team dynamic obviously comes into play. If you can get a national team contract like Kierna Davidson did and Kat Macario, that will push players because they can, you know, get access to not and I know that salaries are going up in NWSL, but certainly not skipping scout. Like if you have a, if you're skipping your your fourth year of scholarship money and it's a your first year of a full ride, then it's hard to see that equating itself. But particularly if you're going to like Stanford or Duke or or, or any program where your college degree is innately going to make you more money than five years of your of your playing salary. So right, <laughs> some, something to think about there. Uh, but yeah, the, the, basically the league's capacity to develop these players is what I was on about, you know, especially the, the spirit are getting that second crack at like a attacking teenage talent that um, went to college for about three months and then decided, Hey, college isn't for me and wanted to go pro. So I think Rodman, Rodman early returns are much further along than Mal Pugh uh, was able to achieve around here. Right. The, uh, here's an idea. Tell me, tell me why this is a horrible idea. What is a horrible idea? The United States uh, petitions FIFA to allow the U.S. women to field a U.S. two uh, of like the next the next rung down and have them enter in all the other Concacaf tournaments. Have them just basically like Barcelona B. Yeah, uh, but uh, just allow like Andy Sullivan to be the starter on USA two uh, instead of the because I feel like they have certainly enough they have a certainly enough depth to these players that have just no hope. We talked about Ashley Hatch. Like it's going to be tough sledding. She could she could win the gold boot this year. She could win. Yeah, it next that's what year. that's what makes me like. I don't want to say annoyed, but it's just sort of like, how is there an answer for that where these players can be rewarded for their club form and actually get onto the national team? Not to say they should be given a spot, but it's just a little bit weird when some players like just don't play in club soccer and then oh yeah, you're in the national team, and then players like too. killing it. I'm telling you, this is the fix. Yeah that or start going to martinique like all the countries that are trying to like really find you know like cousins of cousins of cousins to nationalize like maybe start threatening that because i feel like yeah there are too many good players that are never gonna get that opportunity and nwsl does not have the economic opportunity for players who are not in that tier yeah to make it a long-term career choice they're doing a lot you know tori houston and the uh and I'm sorry, they're, they're the Pro- players association and wslpa yeah. yes that probably was probably an easy acronym <laughs> that should have figured out it would have gotten there eventually uh but they're doing they're doing work on sort of trying to limit or try to at least bring the conversation around all the side hustle these players are having to do yeah and i mean that obviously they're not going to do usa too this is a great idea that's not going to happen but i'm just saying there's not enough money to make it worth these players most of these players to really stick it out and it's uh, every time i see a player who is retiring at 24 or 25. Yeah. It bums me out. It happens in the men's game a lot too, but those are like, usually <laughs> I think I had Felipe on all of forever ago. He's like, those are the guys who went to Notre Dame that had a finance degree and like, well, that, cry, that, that's what I forgot to crack about Drew Scundridge that it's kind of a miracle. He's still playing. Right. right. Particularly <laughs> on USL salary for two years. But, 
he's those those loans maybe i forget how long until they kick in i think I, he was on scholarship he doesn't have to worry about that at least maybe that's at least some scholarship probably right. not a full ride maybe by the end but but a lot of his like his a lot of his stanford teammates have actually retired at you know at that mid-20s age thomas Hilliard arche um la galaxy 2 legend uh yeah I believe. <laughs> but yeah. Uh, he's probably like going to, i remember hearing when harry ship I was covering the final four when Harry Ship was at Notre Dame and he was like, he, his starting salary out of school would have, was going to be higher than the homegrown deal that he signed. I, obviously he went on to make it look a bit more money, but just to give people a, a snapshot. Who was the guy, who was the guy who played in Montreal, I think from Princeton, scored the goal in the Champions League and then blew his knee up. You know mm-hmm. that guy? Yeah, I do. I don't remember his name. There's a Cameron Cameron Porter. Is that's that right. It? You got it. Look at that. It was in there. It was knocking yeah. around. There was some synapses firing. There's a lot of players <laughs> that have, that have come from elite universities that play have a couple of years in MLS, and then you can find them on LinkedIn, and they are invariably like financial advisors. Uh, they work <laughs> yeah. at JP Morgan Chase, so <laughs> it's all right. It all works out for them. They did. They maybe didn't make the men's national team, but well, even someone like Griffin Yao, who I was like, oh man, kid should have gone to school, but then you pull up his his uh, roster like number and or his his as uh what was it called like the mlspa salary that's the number that's the word i'm looking for <laughs> the money he gets paid yeah <laughs> the money the, the number the money he is making i believe is well over six figures so it's like okay if you get if you get that for four or five years you're covering you know and it, let's say he was offered a 50 percent to 75 percent ride somewhere he'll be okay because he's making that money and like, okay, you take that risk and you get paid at least. So can you self fund a five twenty nine? I'm not sure. I feel like I've, someone should tell Griffin. I was talking to Jeremy Gray about it. I, I, he was like, Oh, you know, I was thinking about college and I was like, yeah, but college isn't going anywhere. You can, you can do this for a little bit. It's like, it's true. I could go back. So if you could sell, I feel like if you are a, this is another, so you, uh, USA two is my one idea. Second idea, <laughs> MLS clubs that are signing kids uh, under 18 years old, have to start a 529 and fund it at the max uh for the years that they're playing they don't have to give them a full full amount but they've got to kick in some money towards the because most of these kids are not going to make mls careers out of that most of them are going to be you know two three years in and out i feel like that's the the whole well, record most of these United. guys are like 15 16 they're signing like four or five year deals at least so and they, most of them won't see them out most yeah. of them are not they're going to get cut before the end of that that's true well you still get at least three of that guaranteed but I, I do think there is a portion without looking. I know they're they're working to do that to give kids the incentive to not play college soccer, basically. Well, good. So we'll call that. A, <laughs> we'll say that they adopted that. In a, like they have a, a things with Southern New Hampshire. True. You although it's like yes, Southern New Hampshire, Stanford, yeah. UVA, Notre Dame. Like that's the, that's where it becomes Georgetown. Like Southern New Hampshire University's uh, soccer team, though, would be very good if they could figure out a way. They do. They do have the funny thing is they do have an actual soccer team at their actual school. (laughs) That's that's amazing. I think the the number of players who uh, I think Chris Seitz has like five MBAs through them. I think a lot of the players they just went crazy. Like these are free. I'll do these. That's no problem. I'll get all these degrees. That's no problem. It's like the people with the yeah. It was a it was a good opportunity. A good partnership. I think NWSL started that too. Recently this year they have they have a new online partner for that thing. the more that the more of that they can do, there's only so some much these, they're going to be able to do on salary. Some of these players, even the NWSL, you play your, you know, your a lot, your four seasons of soccer, you leave before your degree is done for a lot of these players. So, 
you know, it's something they should always try to do. I have been, I have been informed by producer Brian that we are reaching the 90 minute mark, which is <laughs> substantially more than I thought we were going to get. I apologize listeners, viewers, if any of those of you stuck us out on the actual live viewing perspective, uh, I, I apologize for living in a tornado. It's never happened. I've been in this house since 2014. This has never happened. So great timing. Really appreciate that. Travis, let's, uh, let's tell people you obviously you the camera angle did not really give your shirt, the advertising angle that we were hoping, but tell people where they can find your uh, great work. Our website is topdoorsoccer.com covering college club and sort of elite non-professional soccer. Although some professionals, as long as they remain at a certain age, no old people. That's uh, <laughs> as long as you're as long as you're not old, we'll talk about you on Top Tour Soccer. Uh, I will have we'll have extra episodes this week. Ted obviously on vacation, hopefully enjoying himself at the beach. Uh, we will have Devin McTavish, play by play, or not play by play, color man for DC United uh, on this week. I'm not sure when it'll be released, so just you know, make sure you're on DC United or RFKRefugees.com/slash subscribe. <laughs> And then you'll, you'll, it'll just magically appear whatever day we decide to do it. And we might have a preview for, for next week up. Things are a little, things get a little squirmy when uh, one third of the show is, uh, is hanging out by the beach drinking Mai Tai. So uh, we were able to do it today. Travis, thanks for joining us. Thanks for coining the Drew Skundrich role uh, and for indulging my USA 2 idea. Uh, and we will be back uh, at some point. Uh, vamos. <laughs>